The time has come to explore the wild lands. From legalism to worse attacks on God's image in us, many Christian fans of fantastical fiction have suffered what can only be described as church trauma. How can we show Christ's love to our enemies while more importantly healing from these attacks, some of which may come from relatives, the church back home, or other bullies who might slander us because of our faith or even because of the fantastical stories we enjoy? Today, we begin our new four-part series on the podcast called Fantastical Foes. Welcome anew to Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaman.com in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory and sometimes find some healing from difficult things that have happened to us. I'm E. Stephen Burnett, the publisher of Lorehaven and the co-author of The Pop Culture Parent. And I'm Zachary Russell, and I'm back from the Babylon Bee Live conference, convention, whatever we want to call it. And not to make light of this topic today, but I have been being abused, Stephen, by a fantastical creature who... Subscribers of the Babylon Bee Forum know as the Atomic Fart Weasel, also known as the North American Skunk. Yes, it is still plaguing us. And this is episode 152, How Can Christian Fantasy Fans Heal from Church Trauma? And we are joined by two very special guests today. These are Lorevan staff writers who've been on the podcast separately before, but I've been looking for a great reason to have both LG McCary and Marion Jacobs on at the same time for another roundtable discussion This one about church trauma, spiritual abuse, and how these can affect the journey of the Christian fan in particular. Ladies, thank you so much for making it into the studio. Laura, how did you get here into the Lorehaven studio? Holding on to the tail of a great white shark. Oh, nice. And how do you create for Lorehaven, and what do you write in your fiction, Laura? Well, I'm the social media manager. I handled Instagram and Facebook, and I also have written a few articles, mostly talking about story and how it affects our souls, how it can be used as apologetics. And um, I write supernatural, dark sci-fi, and even some fantasy on topics as diverse as mermaids, ghosts, and sentient snowmen. My first novel came out in October 2021. It's called That Pale Host. The reason I came in on a a shark is because I'm currently writing about mermaids. Awesome. And Marion is here as well. She just wrote the article, Christian Critics of Purity Culture, are still influenced by its fantasies, uh, but that's uh, by no means the the least of what she's written. Uh, Marion, what is it that you write about fiction and nonfiction-wise? Yeah, I write fiction, obviously. It's um, science fiction and fantasy, both. I'm currently um, editing a science fantasy murder mystery, which I'm pretty excited about. And I also write, for Lorehaven, I primarily write on the topic of story ethics, so sexual ethics, what do we do? Uh, how should Christian think about Christians think about magic? What do we think about uh, emotional ma- manipulation in fiction and things like that? Yeah, I'm detecting a serious tone in the studio today that I think is settled on by impulse. Uh, it's almost an instinct that we realize the earnestness uh, that we need to approach today's topic. I announced it at the beginning. Uh, we talked about calling it spiritual abuse. I think we settled on the term more specific that we could only refer to as church trauma, and we'll decide uh, what we mean by that in just a moment. I just want to acknowledge, though, from the beginning that, yeah, it's going to be a little serious in here, folks. We're going to try to have some fun with it as much as we can, but we are dealing with some very sensitive issues uh, that affect, of course, a lot of Christians as individuals, but our audience in particular at Lorehaven is Christian fans of fantasy and science fiction including but not limited to folks who want to create these stories. And I think uh, we share a lot of bad experiences with 
or at the hands of other Christians. And a lot of people that we know enjoy these stories uh, also are on a journey of healing uh, from these legitimately bad experiences. So just wanted to acknowledge that uh, even before we move into the first sponsor for this episode, which is Oasis Family Media, the owner of Enclave Publishing, and their next book is coming out in just a matter of weeks. It is enhanced by debut novelist Candace Cade. This is a highly anticipated young adult science fiction set in the Asian Federation where Lee Urban is living a lie. In a society where everyone's DNA determines their destiny, being a natural means automatic relegation to the gritty and dangerous outskirts. With the harnessed power of gene editing, the ability to create a superhuman race has transformed the world and offered the opportunity of a genetically enhanced life, but only to those who can afford it. Targeted by a hacker bent on exposing her true DNA, Lee Urban faces off with an artificial intelligence game that puts her and her lies to the test. What was supposed to be a dream come true turns into a lethal gamble of hide-and-seek with her genetics. Can Urban continue the act, or will the cracks in her story expose her and endanger her family? Enhanced by Candace Cade releases March 14th from Enclave Publishing, and the audiobook is available from Oasis Audio, available wherever books are sold. Visit enclavepublishing.com, and we'll have more links uh, to purchase the print copy and the audiobook in our show notes for episode 152, or see the complete information and the book cover at lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. Well, we're going to need some snacks for this one, I can tell. Uh, sometimes comfort food can help with uh, difficult topics to explore, but I have every confidence that this is the team to do it. Well, let's open the concession stand, see if we have some healthy snacks here or unhealthy ones in moderation. I uh, did just want to point out, and we were talking about this for a few weeks leading up to this, uh, that yes, uh, this topic of church trauma and uh, bad backstories with the church back home or relatives or other Christians we know, uh, it can go uh, in more of a general direction, I'd say, because every Christian, I think, has some kind of experience with this, uh, whether we admit that or talk about it or not. But we are going to try to focus on the unique journey of the Christian fantasy fan uh, in this episode. Uh, and everyone here has had some uh, really great ideas about why fans have a particularly unique journey. Uh, these backstories, for example, uh, this church trauma or other kinds of trauma uh, can be part of the reason why we embrace or find comfort in uh, fantastical fiction. And we will touch on that as we go. Fantasy fans also uh, have the ability to see the world in unique ways. Uh, maybe we have a unique kind of mind or a different way of thinking uh, that God has given us. And so we want to acknowledge that as we go forward. We also talked about the fact uh, that fantasy stories or fantastical stories can be, in a sense, escapist. And sometimes they help. Uh, Tolkien, of course, would qualify that term escape in a very healthy way. Uh, but sometimes escape can be uh, helpful if you're in a very difficult circumstance. You need to see what normal looks like. You need to see how real heroes behave. Uh, and you need a story that reminds you that villainy really is evil. Uh, that can be very helpful from a story as well as from a, a nonfiction resource. We also want to speak empathetically here uh, with this topic and with the uh, rest of our topics to explore in the Fantastical Foes series. But we do, I think all of us in our own ways, see some hazards that can be associated with that term uh, empathy. Uh, people can use empathy against us, uh, and sometimes we can take empathy in some unhelpful directions. And of course, a, a reader of a story has a unique vantage on empathy, too. Uh, in order to enjoy a work of fiction, you have to empathize with the characters enter their headspace, live their lives, see the world through their eyes. 
I think that's a skill that we need as Christians. It is literally one of the reasons Jesus came to earth uh, to see his creation from human eyes, to be absolutely human, yet also absolutely God. He can sympathize with our weaknesses, the scripture says, uh, but sometimes when we are not Jesus, which is all the time, uh, that can go in some harmful ways. Uh, finally, I'd say for my concessions, uh, we've had a couple of episodes before of this uh, podcast, Fantastical Truth. Episode 112, for example, explores fictional examples of how Christians are called to love their enemies, yet also sometimes resist them. Uh, love can take different forms based on your relationship to the enemy, and we go over some fantastic story examples there. And episode 120 uh, also explores how Christians enjoy biblical freedom in fiction, uh, that purpose of fiction being to help us be more like Jesus and not just to entertain us or distract us from the real world. Finally, I think, uh, really finally, <laughs> this whole episode, I would say, uh, is like a concession stand before the rest of this Fantastical Foes series. Uh, to give a quick preview, uh, we've identified at least three isms uh, that we would consider uh, adversarial uh, influences in Christian fantasy or on fans, and they are in order of us doing them on the show, deconstructionism, sentimentalism, and sexualityism. Uh, we've used some of those words before. Uh, we'll uh, qualify them as we go into this series throughout the month of March as we've planned it. But we didn't want to go forward with all of these isms that we're going to warn about and be very serious about and maybe call heresy here and there without acknowledging the fact that people can be tempted to false ideas, these and others, because of real hurt that they've experienced, either at the church back home or in any other religious or even Christian culture that they come from. It's not just people trying to get into false teaching. Everybody has some kind of experience and that lead the, leads them to want to overcorrect uh, or find healing in some way. We would just identify these as, uh, at best, a quack medicine uh, that is not going to actually help heal uh, the, any real hurt that we've experienced. I feel like I've talked a lot, but I'm guessing that'll apply to all of us. Uh, who wants to step forward then? Does anyone else have any other concessions that we bring to the table potluck style? Yeah, Stephen, I, I think it would help to define some terms here, and, and this is very much a roundtable you know, question here. But what do we even mean by trauma? Yeah, that's chapter you know, one. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, we can go into that and then, but um, I, I think it's probably good to define our terms maybe there. But, um, you know, we are talking about very serious events that happen, not necessarily disappointments and, and things like that. Mary and Laura, any other thoughts about uh, expectations, concessions for this whole topic? Well, for me, I'm coming from a place of having been through some pretty intense stuff myself. And so I think anybody listening should keep that in mind that when I'm, when I say certain things, like this is what you ought to do, it's coming from, this is what helped me heal. It's not coming from, this is a prescription or whatever. I'm just saying, this is what helped me heal. So sometimes, um, I think it's easy to assume somebody doesn't know what they're talking about when you, or they don't, that they're speaking out of ignorance because there's a lot of that on the internet, you know? But unfortunately, I've been through a lot of that. Yeah, I, I want to echo that um, as well. I also have been through church trauma and um, have some very close personal friends uh, who I've walked through um, uh, different situations with. So um, yeah, it's anything I say is also coming out of experience. I think that would be the case for each of us. Although from my perspective, 
I have to admit that I have not experienced the kind of church trauma uh, that you all are referring to, but I have experienced pain of separation and some other things with people very close to me that I needn't get into here, and I don't plan to in this episode, uh, just because I think it's appropriate to keep those personal matters personal, but it's enough to make me aware of the need to take this seriously. Uh, whether it's from relatives or religious group uh, or that one supposedly Christian employer who kicked you out uh, because you caught on that they were embezzling the numbers, like I'm just making up some scenarios here. Like it's real, folks. Uh, this is absolutely real. And it's not something that you dismiss as weakness or failure to forgive or any of those things. Yes, you do need to eventually forgive or overlook sins, but there is scriptural uh, reasons for doing this. And it's certainly not to the exclusion uh, of ignoring the pain that you've actually been through. So it does take some personal experience to understand that this is a thing, uh, but then we need to look to scripture, look to Christ and the gospel uh, to help us start that healing process. Yeah. And so just kind of back to what I was saying, you know, I, I don't think we're going to get into too in-depth of a psychological discussion about stress versus trauma, you know, anxiety versus panic and you know, debilitating, non-debilitating PTSD. You know, th this is not really. Yeah, the, could, the, but that. Yeah, would, yeah I was thinking serve, no, that would not Laura serve anybody. Laura knows enough to be dangerous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, and like I said, I know just enough to mess with people's heads, not enough to <laughs> fix your problems. So right. <laughs> I have a psych degree, so you'll be welcome on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going more for the, I guess, the popular definition, not necessarily the clinical or the scientific definition, because we're exactly. not we're not the clinical psychologist podcast. Right. So. And, and nor do we plan to be. I think that may also be another very important concession is that I think for each of us here, this is at best a side quest. We're not running a website. We're not running a 501c3 or a podcast or even writing a lot of articles or making a career uh, out of exposing the harm in the church or any of these things, which frankly can, I think, become a perverse incentive to find more harm uh, if that is your business model, then you're kind of in the business now of constant healthcare. And I don't mean that that makes you shady. I just mean that it can be a perverse incentive not to heal. Uh, if nothing else, and I think the person running that kind of ministry or punditry uh, is now trapped in a cycle of constantly telling and finding the bad news. And just imagine what that does to you when your own job won't even let you heal. Uh, that's not something that we want to do, but we also don't want to just ignore it because we keep seeing, I think, these issues of trauma coming up uh, in Christian fantasy fandoms, uh, not just the authors of these stories who are trying to explore these issues in their fiction, uh, but fans who are looking for these themes and then sometimes can look for them uh, reflected in very bad ways in bad places. As long as there is sin, there will be trauma. That's just the reality. You no, know, that's so. a really good point. It doesn't belong here, uh, but it is going to be here. And we do kid ourselves to think that we can heal completely or get rid of it all uh, by becoming powerful or writing about it or whatever uh, before Christ returns. So now that we've talked about the term a lot, church trauma, um, let's go to chapter one. What do we mean by church trauma? Like, what are some of the definitions, colors, impulses, stories, like, Again, we're not doing a clinical definition here, but what does each of us hear then when we hear that phrase? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just throw one thing out. It's not my personal experience. Again, I've, I've had pretty pleasant experiences for, for most of my life in the church, but there was a situation at my church before we got there, actually, but it was dealt with while we were there. So again, I have no connection to this at all, but a, a youth pastor uh, essentially abused a, a teenager, and then another pastor um, didn't report it 
okay, to the to the police. And so there was essentially, I, I wouldn't exactly say a cover up because they fired this guy, but it wasn't reported like it it was supposed to have been. And so the the victim in this case never really got closure on it because oh, it was okay. a crime you know, that, that was committed. It, it was a crime that was uh, that people pretended was consensual. Okay, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, but it was a crime, and so it it shouldn't have gone unanswered. And then it was dealt with many years later uh, when we came to this church. Again, we're kind of coming to this not really knowing what's going on. Yeah, I, I would say that's pretty traumatic for that that young person, uh, the family, friends, even connected to that. And and I, I don't know how wide you want to draw the circle around it, but it's like that that's a gigantic break in trust, right? To to have someone that's supposed to be your shepherd uh, become someone harmful. And so I I would definitely count that as a church trauma situation. Yeah. I also think that, um, of course you can have, um, you can have situations in which you have a traumatic event, um, just, just among congregants, you know, not involving any church leadership. Um, and, and that I do think that can qualify, especially if it's not dealt with properly by the church, um, or if it doesn't qualify for, um, church discipline. I think that can qualify as um, church trauma. Maybe there's a severe breach in trust or even spiritual abuse that's happening. But I think um, oftentimes, a lot of the times when I hear people talking about church trauma, um, there's usually some sort of um, uh, imbalance of power. And whether that me that whether that is the um, the church leaders abusing their power or the other way around, the congregants kind of rising up and, you know, taking over, um, pushing out or abusing their pastor, um, I think would also count as, as, um, church trauma. Yeah. I, I want to back up for a second here too, is, is I did a, some quick reading for this episode. Most of the time when trauma is talked about, it's in the context of a life threatening scenario, right? So maybe someone's in a car accident or a fire or natural disaster. I don't think we're going to experience many of those in church. I mean, obviously there have been churches that have had very disastrous things happen physically to the building, but I thought about how some experiences might be someone being in physical danger during like a church event. So maybe it's like, Hey, a fun County fair and let's have a climbing wall and oops, it falls over and some people are seriously hurt by it. That would be very traumatic. Or if uh, the church gets uh, legally persecuted uh, by the state, and and I'm thinking even broader than just the church in the U.S., but churches in very highly persecuted countries, um, or if people are arrested or otherwise harassed by authorities. Um, I've been an overseas missionary and I have a lot of friends that are doing that. I could I could sit here and tell stories all day long about this kind of thing. That's usually what I think that's, I not going to say usually, but I think that's where the word has come from is like those kinds of like quick momentary, like high intensity, life-threatening events. I think what we're probably talking about is more like, and I'm not belittling this, but I think we're talking more about social kind of situations or, mm-hmm. or kind of relational, yeah, yeah. relational trauma might be a better yeah, Well, the kind it. of trauma that just goes on and on and on where you have somebody, like either someone in leadership or uh, a guardian of some kind, uh, Marion and uh, mentioned a few times that the breaking of trust, you have this breaking of trust continually. 
uh, and then the person maybe makes a promise and then breaks trust again and again and again. And that then could be a scenario that you qualify as spiritual or emotional abuse, uh, even in a family relationship or some other trusted relationship. But where we talk about churches specifically is it, it does become more, um, even at minimum, like in the lowest key example, uh, a case of spiritual abuse. You've got maybe even a false teaching or a false idea of God that's being presented in Sunday school or from the pulpit. Uh, or somebody comes up to you and says that you're evil for reading that comic book. Like I, I saw not too long ago, and Laura, I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, I don't remember who it was, and that's good because I wouldn't say it anyway, but it was a, it was a public social media post uh, from a, a Christian fantasy author uh, who was talking about a family get-together in which uh, she had to put up with people making all kinds of accusations against her uh, for being into those devil-type stories, uh, you know, at least her version of it was that they were saying magic is evil and, you know, there's nothing uh, different between Tolkien and the actual witchcraft that's going to send you to hell. And just all of this cliched stuff that's kind of outside my radar because I'm in a better church and never really experienced <laughs> that kind of thing before. But it's the kind of thing I don't want to forget does exist. And it can certainly influence some Christian fans of stories or even Christian fantasy authors. Uh, they may even in some cases overcorrect and go, like, well, I'm, I'm going to get them back through my story or something. We'll talk about maybe unhelpful ways in a moment. But uh, like, Laura, any other thoughts on what we mean by trauma and specifically how that connects then to the Christian who is a fan of fantastical stories? My church trauma is two separate things. One was I was bullied by my youth group growing up. Um, and the entire group? Pretty much. Wow. Um, I didn't have a lot of friends in there. Um, the ones I did have were also on the margins with me. We were isolated from the main, you know, discussions and the main group. Um, and I, it, part of it was probably a little, I, I do admit some fault with my own personality being, I, I'm, a, I was quite a difficult kid. I'm not even going to pretend, but, um, that is honestly what drove me into apologetics is trying to understand how God's people could treat me so badly. Wow. And um, it spent, I spent six years and I actually um, dealt with suicidal ideation for most of high school because of it. And so it's, it's, it was a really difficult uh, six years and it was little things over and over again. It was death by a thousand paper cuts. It was not these, it was, there was no one big moment that was awful. It was all these little, well, there was, there were several that were really awful. Like the time that I um, told my friend, we were at an event I told a friend of mine, like my one person there that I thought we were really good friends. And I said, hey, I got to go to the bathroom. Don't let the van leave without me. I went to the bathroom, came back out. There were only seven of us in this group and they left without me and nobody noticed until they got home. Oh wow. Gosh. And, and it happened twice. <laughs> oh. So because people just, and it, this, is, this is the thing. Now as an adult, I can chalk a lot of that up to thoughtless teenagers. I can chalk it up to some other things, but these were Christian kids who were supposed to be compassionate, who were supposed to be following Jesus. And that, and it would just, it, it would cut to the quick because it's, these are my family supposedly. And then now um, the other side of it was my husband was a pastor for two years and he was forced out of his position without biblical cause. And we had to deal with the deacons and some other people within the church just really attacking us and saying awful things about us. And that was an extremely difficult two years. Um, I, I'd say actually really the second year was hard. Um, but 
it was specifically some of the people that were on his search committee to bring him to the church were some of the ones that wanted to get rid of us. And so again, it's that it cuts deeper when abuse comes from the church or when, when hurt comes from the church, because yeah. these are your spiritual brothers and sisters. Right. And you are supposed to be able to trust them. You're supposed to be able to um, find safety and compassion from them. And when you get the opposite, it's, it's a soul cut. It's not just a, a, an emotional thing. It's a soul deep wound. And I mean, that, that took me therapy and lots of, you know, lots of prayer and very specific, like, I'm going to deal with this issue kind of trauma care. <laughs> so I was actually diagnosed with, uh, I wouldn't say I was technically diagnosed. My counselor said I fit every criteria for PTSD after that mess with the, with the church. Um, so it's, it's, I really think it's about soul care. My, my husband's a chaplain. And one of the things they talk a lot about is moral injury where That's either, uh, yeah, it, where either you participate in something, you know, was wrong. And so you're part of that, which I honestly have a little bit of that too, um, from some of the stuff that I was in, I was involved in. I, my part of my reaction to the way I was bullied was to be, uh, I'm very good with using scripture to make someone feel like a worthless toad. <laughs> like I'm very, I was very good at that. And so I would cut other kids down, the one, specifically my bullies, using scripture. So the adults couldn't do anything because I could justify it with my Bible. And so it, um, so there's like a, there's that side of it where you can baptize your, your behavior and make it churchy. So, um, and then there's also the other side of it where something really awful is done to you and it's a, it's a soul wound. It really hurts. And then you, you have to live with that. Like I said, it's a soul wound is that's, that's the best term for it. I think. Yeah. I think so. It takes a lot of uh, courage and frankly, a lot of healing to be able to talk about this in a, at least in a, in a public venue of, of this nature. I think I would add to be really careful about it too. Cause I don't want, right. I have been able to move on and forgive and honestly see how God has brought a lot of healing to me and, and made me who I am as a person through what I went through. So I want, I, I think more than anything else, if at the end of this, I hope that people have a sense of hope even through all the hard things Amen. to remember that we do really worship a sovereign God who holds all of it in his hands. Sometimes it takes a while to get to where you can see everything in perspective and actually rest in that and rest right. in his sense of justice and not your own. It is a great blessing when we can catch glimpses of that. Uh, even in this uh, old earth, uh, I can just imagine then how much more perspective we're going to have in eternity not that that justifies every evil thing now and, and not to rule out uh, the promise in Scripture, uh, Romans 12 specifically, where God does say that he will avenge the wrong uh, of someone who has not been forgiven by Christ. Like That is definitely a truth. You've got to have God's, uh, God's righteous wrath in there. But uh, our responsibility is to look for uh, healing, uh, just as you said. I think also um, what counts, I think, is that when, we meet, when we're talking about this kind of church trauma, uh, the kind that uh, specifically Christian fans can react to. Yeah, it is that ongoing thing. It's not like, you know, the church had an earthquake or an incident of persecution, like a, a healthy church can bear up under those things. And I think it's often as much about the churches or the leaders or the people's response to the bad thing that happened. Whereas if you try to hush up the bad thing that happened, or you're overly concerned about the reputation of the church in front of the world that maybe you've just made up, 
and you really just don't want to deal with the problem. Or there may be a generational difference where older Christians will value privacy over truth. Uh, that really is a serious divide that we've seen with a lot of church scandals uh, where it really does just seem like you're trying to sweep the sin under the rug. You're practicing cheap grace rather than airing it out uh, and having a more open uh, reconciliation process. I mean, things can go wrong there too, uh, but whether it's the bullying or the dysfunction or even more serious issues uh, going on among the leadership, uh, that's the kind of trauma we're talking about. I want to jump in with um, kind of a response to both Laura and um, and Zach with, you know, Zach, you were talking about like, you know, we think of like trauma as like this kind of big, you know, dramatic event. And I think that that's actually technically called acute trauma. Mm, um and what we're talking about is something different um mm -hmm. but i and i have often called um like what you said laura about you know the paper cuts you know these small events happening over and over again over a long period of time and i tend to think of that as like slow drip this like slow drip of water coming down and eroding your life eventually that's going to form a hole a divot that's like quite large but it, it just happens like and you can't it's oftentimes hard to target, hard to see it, hard to notice um, just how big of an effect that it has on you. And I do think that that often is what we're seeing with this community of speculative readers um, and even writers to some degree. I think um, speaking as somebody who has ADHD and um, I typically think of anyone who's what we call neurodivergent, you know, different neurologically as being a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit more an easy target, honestly, for this type of thing in churches, um, even even in their own homes, but in churches. And and we tend to draw in that crowd um with 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 fantasy and and sci-fi. You know, we have uh, we're probably gonna have um, a greater number of people who are neurodivergent, who have diverging di divergent taste, um, if that makes sense. So I think the that this there's there's likely um, a greater number of people who have experienced trauma, uh, who've experienced spiritual abuse among among us. That is a fantastic point. You know, when we talked about this um, offline, I guess a couple weeks ago, getting real here with the uh, speculative fiction writer and reader community. So first of all, if you look at the publishing landscape, and we were just talking about this before the podcast. Uh, there are not a lot of Christian distributors, bookstores that specialize in speculative fiction. Right? It's mostly historical, Amish, or biblical fiction. It's not futuristic, fantastic. Yeah, et cetera. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just saying within the fiction realm, there's, there's not a lot of what we talk about on this podcast of fantasy and sci-fi. Most of that is published independently. So self-published. Okay, so that's one factor right? There's the independent publishing. I don't need a publishing company. I don't need a marketing team. Right. Like, so no traditional gonna, gatekeepers. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, but it's more that I'm going to do this myself. Okay. And then there is the experience that Laura talked about of being excluded, being bullied, being this sort of outcast essentially, or, or being turned into an outcast. So that gets combined with indie author, indie kind of fan clubs. And then plus there's the internet, which just kind of mm -hmm. atomizes everything. Right. And so what, what I think we end up getting is sort of this loose collection, this kind of uh, rebel alliance of a lot of outcasts. I don't want to go too much into my experiences. This is more about you ladies, but like, you know, I, I definitely was an outcast for quite a bit of time in middle school and high school. So I can totally relate to this. I, I 
you know, when, when I first kind of found this community, I'm like, oh, these are a lot of people like me. But I think the danger in that is that we then think to ourselves, we, we take the next step. Well, why do I need a church? You know, I just have this community now. I just have this online community. So why, why go to church? And I, and I think that's when the danger kind of steps in because it's like, well, I'm already getting all of my needs met, my social needs met from this writer community or this reader community or this fan club or this, you know, internet group, discord community, whatever. I, I think that the spiritual danger is then, well, why should I plug into a local church, like, like an in-person with pastors overseeing me, with people discipling me, with people teaching me the word? Well, the blunt truth is, is you're not getting all your social needs met. You're not. Right. If, you, if all you do is talk to other people that are like you, you are not getting what you actually need. You may get, you're getting what you want, but you are not getting what you need. What right. you need, we need the diversity of the body of Christ. And it's so important. I mean, I've, I have found, this is kind of funny, uh, speaking as a writer right now, um, I, I love other spec writers. I have so much fun. I tell you, when I first got into that community, especially with like Realm Makers and Lorehaven and some of those things, I was like, oh, yeah, I found my people. And then, you know, what's really funny is I have found that I actually, some of the some of my biggest encouragers don't write, don't, aren't into that at all, do not understand a thing about what I do, do not read what I write, but they are so excited. They're so proud of me. They love me and they know my heart and they know what I need. And I found them in churches and I found them in Bible studies outside, like with, you know, parachurch stuff. And I, if I was so focused on this one little community that looks like me, I would miss the blessing that I had gotten from these wonderful friends that have just poured into me and they have no clue. Like they, they don't, they, a lot of them, I have one particular friend, she had a great childhood, great, you know, experience with the church has never had a single problem with that stuff has had just a wonderful time. And she has just poured into me like, this is what the church should look like. Let me show you what love from the body of Christ is supposed to look like, you know, and she's, so I think, we we tend to get into our little tribes and stay there and we're not meant to do that we're meant to interact with a lot of different kinds of people and there's healing in that yeah and we'll talk more in the next chapter about some harmful ways that christian fans can respond to that kind of trauma i for one think it makes sense not biblically but logically that you would avoid a local church uh, if your experience with a church back home uh, has been negative or perhaps yeah. Uh, even uh, poisoned by the experiences of other people. Maybe your church experience was non-existent or just blah. I mean, it was a church, no real harm, no real foul. But then you get into the internet or other circles where everyone else has a negative church experience and you start to internalize that. And lo and behold, you find uh, less and less place for local church involvement in your life. Real quick though, I did want to uh, discuss uh, briefly what we don't mean uh, by church trauma, uh, some things that we would rule out uh, because you hear that word so much. Uh, it's so mainstream now, trauma, trauma, trauma. And I think a lot of people uh, of certain disposition would just start tuning it out. Uh, they'd call you woke or they'd call you weak or, or they would uh, just not have any mental placeholder for you at all uh, if you are comfortable talking about uh, some trauma that you've been through. Or they would confuse like, you know, the mega trauma where everybody pulls together and helps each other like after an earthquake or something with that kind of, I uh, don't know if the, the, this is the official term, but the micro trauma that just goes on and on and on, uh, the death by a thousand cuts sort of thing with all these constant betrayals and abandonments and even abuse going on. 
uh, people will get this confused and so they'll ignore it. So I think it's important then to, to acknowledge that we're not talking about someone who just has a complaint about a bad experience, or I would say in regards to church specifically, and got to be careful here, but for example, we're not talking about a church that behaves in accordance with the scriptures and graciously but firmly uh, follows biblical parameters for membership. Uh, someone who's been church disciplined for failure to repent from a pattern of ongoing sin, for example, uh, has not experienced a trauma. They may experience separation, but scripture does talk about separation as a necessary process in order to bring people to repentance. I mean, God sends Adam and Eve packing out of the Garden of Eden. Did they feel traumatized? Probably. Uh, was it necessary for uh, their good uh, to show how serious their sin was? Also, yes. Um, not sure how we can discern those in the lives of our friends or our own lives. I think it's just important to note that not everything people call trauma is a trauma, uh, even if you're talking about the churches. Like I have a hard time talking about stuff as it, using the word trauma. I, it, it really took going to therapy and actually being told, no, this does qualify. Um, because I, I really don't want to be this person that puts that label on every little thing. I want to make sure that if, if I've been wounded, that, that I label it appropriately. And I think it's really easy to, um, especially internet culture, everything is awful and everything is devastating and everything is going to destroy you. That, that isn't true. We, we are actually far more resilient than, um, than that. We, and I, I understand also what, when Marion was talking about, um, we have a, a lot more neurodivergent people within the spec community. I think that's definitely true. And they have, I speaking based on experience with several family members and several good friends who are on the autism spectrum and various other issues, there's definitely some uh, things that make them more sensitive and more easily wounded. But that's a situation where other people in the body should be being tender and gentle with them and holding them up. And, and, you know, talking about the weaker vessel, like I'm talking about women most of the time we say that, but you can consider some people like they they have a weakness because this hurts more because of what, of, you know, what they've been through or the way their brain works or whatever. So it, it is, it is individual to a degree, but it also is, I think trauma can get overused really fast, especially on the internet. Absolutely. The uh, Isaiah 42 prophecy about the Messiah uh, in verse 3 says famously of Christ, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Marion, I think a lot of people who've been through some kind of church trauma or a separation uh, or abandonment can really resonate with that. And it, it, uh, implicit, uh, it seems to be implicit there that there are some reeds that are bruised more than others. And while the Old Testament and New Testament are very clear that all are sinners and must repent, uh, it's also very clear that there are symptoms of sin in the world that can lead people to suffer through no fault of their own. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I think I, I used to think that if I am more vulnerable because, um, you know, with with something like ADHD comes um, what we call rejection sensitivity dysphoria and other things like that. That is a, you know, these things and more, there are like emotional symptoms to having autism or ADHD. And um, I, I used to think, well, it's just my fault then that this hurts so much and it wouldn't have hurt that bad 
or they wouldn't have picked me if I wasn't like this. So this is just my fault. In reality, the opposite is true. It's like if somebody walked up to this, you know, injured, bleeding, wounded dog and kicked it. It's actually worse that they pick, they actually target, you know, probably subconsciously target people who are already wounded, already vulnerable, and then hurt them more. Well, anybody who's been bullied knows that if you are down, they're going to kick you. Right. If you're already, when you're already down, they're going to, the bully's going to kick right. you. Send right. Me That's that why way. you learn to not show mm-hmm. weakness and you learn to pretend that you're okay. And, yep. You wear that yeah. shell. Suppression. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I'm using some jargon here, but there, there is a, a fact behind that, what people say they're suppressing their feelings. And it's one of the most discouraging things that I see. Uh, my wife and I've been doing foster care uh, before and one of the most discouraging things you see is is a person who you know has been through some kind of constant trauma abandonment or a, you know a parent died or maybe there's some other thing going on some difficult family situation and you just see where they have scabbed over their own wounds so much that they've not deal, dealt with the infection uh, and in some cases that person is just kind of going through life and hitting their marks, but doesn't uh, experience the joy in life. It certainly is uh, built up an immunity to gospel influence because ipso facto, it's just the way things are, you know, just, just keep going. It's, it is what it is. And then of course, the other problem you have is someone deciding that doggone it, I have been trodden upon so much. I have been at the mercy of abusive power that now I'm going to become uh, the power and no one's ever going to hurt me again. Uh, and then that person can become either just a very hardened person or could even be the next round of victimizers. And thus the cycle continues. Uh, if we're it's ready, like then, the difference between yeah. Taylor Swift at the beginning where she's talking about, she has that song um, where she's, oh, what's that called? I can't think of the name of the song. She's saying it at the Grammys. Someday I'll be singing this at the Grammys and all you're ever going to be is mean versus <sighs> look what you made me do. It's like her. It's like her villain origin story, I think. But anyway, wow. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. harsh. <laughs> well, and that, that's something that a story fan can I, I actually like identify with, especially uh, if you're familiar with how villains are put together in real life and in stories. Like the best villains have a tragic origin story, mm-hmm. but still are not allowed to get away with it, and that should lead us both to empathy, but also a desire uh, that the wicked will be punished. Uh, scripture, and I think just reality insists that we've got to feel those same responses at the same time. Uh, and yet it takes some healing uh, in order to understand uh, that kind of moral nuance uh, in a human being. Uh, we've already started talking about those harmful ways uh, that Christians and Christian fans in particular can respond to trauma. Uh, we're going to move to chapter two in just a moment and explore that more officially. Uh, first of all, don't know if that has anything to do with trauma, but we're going to pause for a new sponsor on Fantastical Truth. Uh, this is author A.C. Castillo, who's the author of a book called once Upon a Ren Fair, a fun new fantasy release from this author. Here's the description. Keltia has a normal 17-year-old life, except that she was found on the steps of a police station when she was a baby, and she was born with green hair, and no one knows why. Pause for the sponsor text. Uh, that does sound traumatic, and certainly a case of abandonment. So uh, the description goes on. A fun day takes a fateful twist after a group of Ren Fair barbarians who actually seem dangerous start chasing her across the grounds. When she follows a handsome jouster, Emerson, into a hollow tree to hide, she finds herself in a fantasy land of giants, killer unicorns, powerful fairies, and dryads. Can Emerson help her find the key to return home? 
or will Keltia be swallowed up by this impossible land? That is Once Upon a Ren Fair from author A.C. Castillo. This is book one of the Willow Green series. You can get the purchase links, more information in our show notes for episode 152, or find even more at lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. So back here in the real world where we've not been thrown into the magical land, courtesy of a Ren Fair portal, chapter two, how might we respond in harmful ways to real trauma? So we're not talking about trauma we've made up or caught wind of on the internet and then trying to be a hero to all those other victims out there. We're talking about real cases of that uh, death or wounding by a thousand cuts trauma, uh, sometimes even in the places where we should expect safety, uh, which is God's house, or even our family house or other safe place. Real quick, I did want to note that I think this makes church trauma unique from other kinds of trauma. You know, you may have suffered some abuse, you know, volunteering at the Lions Club, although that sort of thing definitely doesn't make a lot of headlines. Uh, And maybe statistically, there's more uh, reported abuse in public schools or a secular institution or something. But I think Christians ought to look at that and go, okay, you know, maybe the media, if we're just talking about the media, maybe they need to also pay attention to abuse in other places. But as Christians, we kind of expect the bad people to do bad things, right? I mean, they're not Christians. Uh, so they're all, you know, we, we just expect that they're going to do this stuff. But as, as we've been saying earlier, church is supposed to be different. It is supposed to be the place where you are safe and there is trusted leaders and trusted relationships. And when that doesn't happen, uh, it makes sense that we would uh, overly focus on the church, especially if we've been through that story ourselves. Uh, And then maybe we focus so much on uh, that uh, terrible circumstance that it affects everything we do or even the stories that we enjoy or for those who enjoy creating the stories, uh, some harmful responses to trauma can get into the fiction. And that's really where, as someone said earlier, the rubber meets the road here. Zach, what harmful responses have you seen to trauma in general? Uh, and then maybe more specifically relating uh, to some views that we see spread around the uh, the Christian fantastical fan community. Well, there's a cartoon mascot that'll express this perfectly. It's it's Queen Whatever I Want to Be, and her however you're supposed to say it from the Lego Movie, right? And she has this whole song about how she's not really this evil villain that will imprison your family, and uh, she's not she's unconniving, unmalicious, and all these other unnasty, unnasty. Um, so you know she's got some kind of origin story, I assume for being not evil, but, um, you know, all throughout that medley and it's just an, an amazing music video. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. But you know, she's late, she's made out of Legos, right? So she's turning in all these weird shapes and things and talking to Batman uh, for whatever reason, Batman's in this. And I think that is, uh, one of the number one temptations for people that have been through church trauma, especially that are in these creative communities like SpecFic as writers or readers. Marion, I thought you had a really good line earlier that we're, we're talking about the continual violation of trust. So I think, you know, my unprofessional opinion here is that we mostly get our identity through relationships, Re- relationships and duties, I think are the two ways that we mostly are meant to get our identity. So when you have one or both of those things broken, by traumatic church experience, then people have a very real loss of identity. And what can be the temptation is to recreate that identity in taking the form of something else. And, you know, we're, we're going to talk in our next few episodes about some of the, the major 
dangers and how these take shape. But, you know, uh, that, that is such a, I mean, a, a big one obviously is sexual and gender identities. Again, we're not going to get into that too much today, but so many of the books now that have come out since Harry Potter, it's not simply like, Oh, what character do you like? Or who do you identify with? It's like, take this quiz and find out which house you are and what personality you have and which Enneagram number you have and which Myers-Briggs you have and which big five you are. You know, it's everything is so geared toward that now. It's like, find your identity through this or that or that or that. And I, I think it's like the natural outgrowth of something that went on in the church about 20 years ago, which we were really obsessed with these spiritual gifts inventory tests. And there was the, the shape one, for example, that was like this really comprehensive one. And I don't, okay, I don't necessarily have a problem with any of this, but uh, my pastor at that time said something really wise, which was, if you want to know your spiritual gifts, find them through serving, like serve in different ways and see where the Lord is empowering you. Don't just take a test and then just trumpet that everywhere. Like, oh, these are my spiritual gifts. And I think the same thing is happens with identity that we try to put our identity together through all of these online resources, particularly. And it's very devoid of actual relationships. And so I think it quickly devolves into kind of self-obsession and narcissism. So I, I'll stop there, but I, I think that's kind of the end point danger through a lot of this. Now, again, I'm not necessarily blaming anyone that's getting caught up in this, but I think that's the danger to watch out for. So I was homeschooled. I grew up in a very conservative community. I, um, I, my dad is more the sci-fi fantasy uh, lover in our family. So he always had Tolkien and we watched Star Trek together. So I grew up with that side. My mom is very much more into nonfiction, although she's been reading a lot more fiction lately, which is kind of fun. Uh, but that I loved Frank Peretti. I loved all these, you know, spiritual warfare books and things like that. And there were, I, I don't remember a ton. Um, I remember it more now as an adult, what I've seen at homeschool conventions or heard speakers say at homeschool conventions. But the thing that people worry about so much is, well, if you're, what if you dissociate from your real life to the point that all you do is live in a fantasy world all the time? That's one of the things that that a lot of, I I think that honestly, that's where some of the Harry Potter mania, like that fear of them came from. Um, It's like, oh no, what if they're actually going to be a witch? Well, I mean, I have other issues with that series. I, I just like I to me it's like I I don't think I mean you can go around yelling av of Avatar how do you say Avada that? Kedavra. Avada Kedavra. Avada Kedavra. Say it. Yeah, it's an unforgivable curse. But like, that's oh, the thing. Sorry. I can go ahead and run <laughs> around. And do that, but it's not gonna actually do anything. You nah, know, and, it's Latin. Wait, I just got turned into a frog. It's just Latin. <laughs> no, that's not the frog turning one. She tur- I, I turned you into a newt. Amateur. <laughs> got better. better. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I, mean, I just, I think that there, there is some uh, very real issue with that though. Like there's, if you look in the, specifically in the cosplay community, um, not to be mean to anybody, but there are some people that take it so seriously that it's their entire world. It's their entire life. That fantasy realm that they have, they're so attracted to. Um, for me, it's Trekkies. Like I, I was really interested in, I love Star Trek. I wanted to be seven of nine without the wardrobe with better wardrobe than her, but uh, she gets a wetter wardrobe these days. Yes. Nice. But I, I absolutely loved her growing up. And then to, man, I just, I, I watched a documentary about 
Trekkies, like Trek fans. And it's just, it's sad. Like, no, no, this is too far. This is not a real thing. These, you can learn to speak Klingon. Why? Like, I mean, which is, I, I get it. I understand Tolkien. He created a bunch of stuff too, but also he was a philologist. That's literally his job was languages. Um, there's a reason why he was so good at that. He had an established real world uh, to use as a foundation for these other imaginative yeah. pursuits. And he had a, a stable family life. He loved his wife. He did his job. Well, he also uh, he was, did chase his neighbor wearing full Anglo-Saxon, you know, stuff and carrying an axe. So, I mean, he was a little nuts. That too. <laughs> so he could be a wacky cosplayer at the same time. Or just a nerd. Not opposing let's, let's, that. It's, yeah. Oh, he's but totally it's, a nerd. I think, I, I really time. think there is a real danger there, um, especially I, I've seen some people delving so deeply into Harry Potter and into the little tiny details. It's like, I think that that kind, that level of literary analysis should be reserved for scripture <laughs> like it's too far it's too many details um, especially since we're talking about a fallible human being who wrote this book like you can't assume every line is perfectly written for a specific reason um and i, I so i i do it think also that goes is a to show they don't understand game. much about the editing process yeah right. clearly. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's just i think it's important to acknowledge that that can actually become an issue it is i think it's mostly a panic thing on the part of parents who don't like that type of stuff themselves mm -hmm. uh, but i it that really does happen there are people that yeah. retreat yeah. to fantasy for their own safety and their own like they just i feel safer here with my you know my little pony or whatever <laughs> yeah i think but that's that's um a mislabeling of what the real problem is um for mm -hmm. parents to be like oh well i'm afraid you know of this you know, fantasy for this reason, when in reality, it's a very simple answer. That's obsession and idolatry. And the way that it's cured is through loving Jesus more. And, um, and so to, to say, oh, it's the problem, the, the problem is Harry Potter, like maybe that's a particular temptation for the child, but so would any really good fantasy book, you know, it's not just this book, um, I think, or Star Trek or whatever um, the case may be, you know, the answer is, is this an idol? Are you obsessed? Like, and is this, is this your identity? Being an ADHD kid, I was not a reader. And, um, I, I struggled to pay attention and for it to, you know, and I, and I have a confession to make that I still have never gotten all the way through, um, Lord of the Rings because it's so boring. And, um, <laughs> oh, you're canceled. But, yeah, I know I got canceled, <laughs> but my, I, this is my, this is my brain. Um, yeah. and so not until I got Harry Potter, um, in middle school, did I become a reader? And, um, and I'm very grateful for that, but I did, there was a time I remember sitting, I remember sitting, I remember exactly where I was sitting in camp, listening to a sermon and being, and they were talking about idols. And I just remember being so convicted, um, that Harry Potter had become an idol in my life. I had spent, I would like spend all my spare time going on like Harry Potter websites, taking Harry Potter quizzes. This was like very early, like, um, you know, quiz kind of, uh, website phase of, um, the very early, um, two thousands or even like, you know, 99, something like that. Um, so very early on in the internet phase, but I, and, and I just, I knew in that moment, yes, this is an idol to me. Um, and I changed, you know, and I was a middle schooler, but you know, I, you just have to, not all middle schoolers are going to be able to, to detect that in their heart. 
Some of them may not be saved or high schoolers or, or adults, honestly. Um, and that's what parents are for is to just say, hey, like, it's fine if you want to read this book, but where are your priorities? What do you love more? What is your identity? Your identity is in Christ. Yeah, well, and, you know, just taking away the books or the movies or the video games or the comics, I mean, that's not solving the root problem. I think that's just a Band-Aid that it's very tempting to put on it. And maybe it's like, okay, this needs a timeout. And and that's, right. that's, that's fine. But yes, I think it's very easy to blame the stories or the art or, or the fan community when the problem is what Laura, you said, it's that disassociation and it's that, and it's that loss of identity and that's what has to be addressed. And that's much harder to solve that. That's much more work to help someone rebuild their identity. It's, it's just easy to, to take things away. Well, and dissociation. It, all of us, to some degree, yes, but all of us, everybody has to learn what it means to, to have your, to, to find your identity in Christ. Yeah, sure. So loss of one's identity, uh, going into a fantasy world so in depth, uh, that it is the wrong kind of escapism. So not the kind that the, uh, professor Tolkien would describe as escape from a jail. Uh, but I think that a reader who's experienced church trauma or some kind of spiritual related trauma would feel like it's an escape from a jail. Marion, you didn't mention this, but I, I can think of a few cases where uh, some Christian fans I've encountered would say that, yes, they they found um, a resonant theme in Harry Potter of escaping from the cupboard under the stairs to go off into this magical world of danger and purpose and prophecy and destiny and a real life villain to fight. Uh, it can be quite exhilarating. Uh, and in light of the gospel, you can see certainly the parallels that J.K. Rowling was uh, incidentally, if not intentionally drawing from just as you would any other story that hits those uh, major beats of the biblical hero's journey. Only we would see that the hero is Christ and not the person uh, himself. More on that in a moment. Uh, but you can get in too deep. Uh, you certainly can. Uh, there's a Latin phrase that I love. It says, abusus non tollet usum, which is abuse of a thing does not disqualify proper use. Uh, we do not deny the goodness of the gift by saying that, hey, people in their pain and or their sin can turn it into uh, a sinful tool uh, to draw them further from Christ uh, and not closer to him. You can enjoy the reflection of the common grace so much that you miss or ignore the specific grace of the gospel. And that's a big issue with, uh, with trying to find your identity uh, in, a, in a story or in a fantasy world uh, and can indeed lose track of reality. But I kind of get it. If reality is traumatizing you, then where else are you going to go? There's another issue that I see uh, I've already moved to this one uh, specifically. I mean, this could be, we're not writers podcast, but I do see this happening sometimes uh, in some Christian made fiction or fantasy that I see. And, and once you maybe see the, uh, the pattern here, uh, it is very difficult to unsee it. And I don't want to psychoanalyze anybody. We're certainly not going to name any names here. That's not the point just to nag at somebody, but I can now sometimes read a back cover of a book and I think this is an author who's trying to seek some form of healing through the act of writing and publishing this story. Uh, and Zach's phrase in a previous episode really brought out to me uh, how this can be harmful, a harmful response to trauma. Because how did Zach say it? He said something about uh, the, the idea of therapy is that you are investing time and often financial resources in enlisting the aid of a professional to help you work through these issues out loud in a safe environment and heal, seek healing. 
you are paying this person. And the way that Zach said it is, is that if you're a, a creative person who then is working through those issues through a story that you're now selling for others, you are now enlisting readers to pay you uh, for your healing experience. And maybe writing a story can be a very healing thing, but does it need to be published necessarily? Uh, sometimes the, uh, that uh, uh, attempt to seek healing from trauma can become propaganda, and I'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, well, but it does reverse the progress. I actually have some personal process. experience with this. Go for like, it. If you, because, because That Pill Host, my novel, is written out of my, my experiences with postpartum depression, anxiety, mm -hmm. and PTSD. And then I had to, I, I really had to get some distance from some of the junk. I mean, I, that book took me eight years to write. Wow. And I had mm -hmm. to get some distance to, to make sure that I was loving my reader more than my go. own healing like i really yeah. wanted my reader to grow i wanted my reader to feel loved to see the compassion of these different characters to see the um how god can bring healing um i really wanted them i, I kept thinking about i mean to, i love thy reader like that's really really important as you pick up a book i think it's really important to know that the author has you in mind mm. that they want you to um, to heal yourself. They want you to be healed. They want, they don't want you to be dragged through their pain and suffering and just come out traumatized with them, but that you're coming out with a view to healing and to, um, a greater understanding of the sovereignty and the, the love of God. And, and that, that took a long time. And I very deliberately, um, like asked some beta readers, like, make sure that this I want you to look for these things because I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about this character and what she's dealing with and then about what the reader is going to take from it. And it, it can be really easy, um, especially, you know, just when you're really close to your trauma when you're really close to what has happened to you, it can be really easy to like just sit in it. And I, again, like I have been through this and I'm not speaking to be, to make anybody feel bad about what they may have written or mm -hmm. whatever, but you know, yes, God can bring healing through your writing, but I think it's going to be a lot easier on you and it's going to be a lot easier on your reader if you do the healing work and then write out of that healing. Um, I mean, sometimes it's both, but like, I really think right. I, God brought a lot of healing to me through that, that story too. But I, I feel like you should write out of that healed space. I want to add on to that as a reader. I think that there is actually a relationship that you're building with an author and you have to ask yourself when you're reading a book, is this person trustworthy? Mm, right, and, right. um, you know, it's not, we can be so flippant with the books that we pick up. But if, if someone is not trustworthy, if they, um, if they are even not even aware of the level of emotional abuse that they're, they're putting you through, then that is going to be damaging. And I completely agree with everything you said, Laura, Laura. I think having space, having, um, looking, cause of course we want to, we want to write about the things that we know and those, and it's on and a lot of the, the, the trauma that is being written into things is honestly going to be subconscious. So I think that, and I've definitely experienced that. Um, and I think as long as we have, we have that space, we have like done some healing work already as an author, you know, writing that out, but as a reader to be able to say, to look at, to look at that book and say, 
when this person brought me down, did they bring me back up? Right. Mm. Did they bring me back up enough? Was what, you know, if they bring you through hell and then at the end of the story, hand you a lollipop, was Mm -hmm. it worth it? Mm. Was it worth it? You know, and because if there's, if there isn't hope and healing in equal measure to the, to the devastation that happened in the book, then that person is probably not trustworthy. They're probably the person behind the screen typing, like thinking to themselves, how can I, um, how can I wreck my reader? Yeah. You know, and they're using their own trauma. They're using their own past to, um, to wage war on the reader. And this is something that is a very common mindset for writers. So I think readers really need to be aware that don't pick up a book flippantly and hold it, read it, read it and hold it at arm's length from your heart and, and, and guard your heart as scripture says. And then, you know, I I hate to bring it up because I know it's going to be controversial for me to say, but I really don't think that the ending of the hunger games is something that we need to was, was good. And I don't think that these no, are books based, that we need to right. be letting agree. recommend, like recommending to teenagers. And I know several teenagers who read them like once a year. And I'm like, this is not healthy. Like you go through hell and at the end you get this tiny little ray of hope, tiny. And it's just, it's, it's so, so sad. Um, and I really feel that like this author is not trustworthy. Yeah. I, I think it's the impulse of misery loves company. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. Oh, it is. Or, I'm or so miserable. The trauba, yeah. I never found healing. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to make everyone as miserable as me because no one, if I didn't get a happy ending, no one else does either. Yeah. And I, I think a, this is why Twitter is so valuable in the age of books now, because you can, you can see an author's worldview pretty clearly. And when you see that kind of nihilism of just, you know, the world's terrible and no, nothing ever gets better. Everything always gets worse. I don't know um, who I am, so neither will you. Yeah, stay away. <laughs> mm-hmm, I agree. Mm-hmm. What, there was a series I read uh, a few years ago. It was a young adult series, and it was dystopian, kind of post-apocalyptic. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse through the first two books. And then the third book, I thought, there is, I, mean, I don't know how he's going to wrap this up. And it ends with, like, annihilation, basically. The, the whole, th- and it was the, and the most whole world de- exploded. Basically. Yes. <laughs> and it was so depressing. And I got to, I thought, man, I really thought that we were going somewhere positive. <laughs> I thought we were going to have a, a, the good guys were going to win and they sort of, they survived, but that was it. There's, and I, and there's no hint that they're going to survive very long after this stuff. And, you know, it's, it's kind of that kind of thing is unique, I think, to speculative fiction, to fantasy and sci-fi and horror, horror especially, because um, I, I tend to, I tend toward the spooky. I, I like that stuff. And there's a lot of, of fiction like that where it's just awful. The, my one defense of that is that um, it's this, I'm stealing it from a, a fellow author, C.W. Breyer. It can be a warning, a prophetic warning that sometimes fiction like that is it can serve as a warning against sin against evil behavior and said like if if you do this this is the result um so there's sometimes there can be a justification for that where you you come to the end and everybody's terrible and everybody dies because there's consequences for sin but i think that has to be balanced with um an actual understanding of sin an actual understanding of consequences a very clear christian worldview there and and I think if that's if that is all you consume all the time, that's another thing. That's another thing too. It's not just 
um, scripture. Like, are you consuming as much scripture as you are consuming Harry Potter and Star Trek and all the other things? I know I sound like a bad youth pastor right now, but like the, that obnoxious youth pastor is like, are you, you should go burn your CDs. No, I, I'm just saying your, what you read and what you love shapes your soul. As I have said on Lorehaven several times, um, it shapes your soul. And so if you're consuming a lot of fiction that is shaping your heart in a, in a bad direction, then why are you surprised that your soul is being shaped in an ugly way. And so it, I think as Christians specifically, we just need to have, a, you're right, Mary, we have to have a very strong awareness of what we're reading and what it is teaching us and how it is shaping our hearts. Yes. Marion's written some great articles about this before, specifically about that issue of, uh, of not wrecking the reader. Like, ha ha, I'm going to wreck my reader now. I'm going to have them bleeding their hearts out over all these character deaths. I, I get really tired of that corny cliche. And I do think uh, in part because of your articles, Marion, that there is a, there's a real toxicity there that I don't think is cute at all. Uh, I think that if we're going to talk about how much trauma we've got, then we need to start moving in more healing direction rather than just wallowing in it all the time. Uh, even if it's quote, just fiction, unquote. I think though, there are a lot of authors who would, uh, would defend themselves and say, I'm not trying to wreck the reader. I'm not trying to hurt the reader. Like I'm trying to help the reader, but this falls into maybe another trap that I've seen and, and maybe not so much up close. Well, it happens with secular fiction for sure, but even some professing Christian authors, I think can fall into this. Uh, I call it, I think the hero for hire response to trauma. Uh, if they're not hiring the reader to do their therapy for them uh, by reading the story and resonating with their journey and all of that, uh, then they maybe think themselves healed. Uh, maybe they've gotten a hold of something that really felt powerful for them uh, that we might call deconstructionism or sentimentalism or sexualityism, which we'll explore in future episodes of this miniseries. Uh, but they, they've gotten a hold of an ideology like this uh, or maybe something else, and then they decide that they are going to beat the reader about the head and shoulders uh, with this ideology. And suddenly you have become a propagandist. But, but you're not like those bad propagandists, you know, those boomer Christians who are just trying to get you to, you know, to the front of the church for the altar call. Uh, you're a propagandist for your worldview. Uh, you're a propagandist for what you think has helped you heal from that bad church back home experience. But as a result, the story is going to be terrible. Uh, you're right back in there to kind of this inverse sentimentalism where it's no nuance at all. Uh, the poor heroine is a self-insert. Uh, the evil villains are just a villain insert from your own past. Uh, and, and you think it's fiction, but it does come from a place where the author is clearly not healed from these things uh, and now is trying to enlist the reader in, um, in an outrage fest, I suppose. And so maybe it is a kind of an issue of trying to use the reader for therapy as well. Um, I must say, though, that these are not the kind of books that we're going to review at Lorehaven uh, <laughs> because the back cover will usually give it away, folks. Uh, and we don't do vetting of authors to see whether their confession of faith is genuine or anything like that necessarily, although that might be a good idea. But we do see occasionally some submissions at the Lorehaven Review queue uh, where it's very clear just based on the description, like, oh, this is propaganda. And, and, and this is like this does not make me feel like. Uh, the author is a, a, a trusted, firm hand that can guide me into a story world that challenges and yet pleases all of us. Uh, this is someone who's really hurting and who thinks they've found the cure uh, in fighting against this particular strain of evangelicalism. Uh, but really, they're just kind of wandering. And I'm not going to go along this journey. I don't think this story is going to benefit me in the least. Thinking about having 
the mindset of um of writers in I'm going to do this I'm I'm going to um you know basically honestly just kind of like do whatever I want. I see I'm seeing that a lot more in in fiction coming out just um a little bit of sticking it to the man I guess is like a good way to say it and more in in the sense of overcorrecting problems. Um, they see a lot of problems in fundamentalism. They probably have this, um, you know, church back home trauma, or they're just reacting to something to trends that they're seeing um, in the church or online. And they're saying, I am not going to abide by your rules. Stop telling me what to do. I'm going to do whatever I want. And it's there's there's an overcorrection aspect, which is honestly human nature. I see it all the time in so many venues and so many spheres in which they say, it is okay for for me to put all this content or all of this whatever in my stories. But honestly, I think that anyone, even if they're not a writer, is going to have the temptation to, they have trauma and they need to correct away from that. They need to correct away from, they need to to move themselves away ideologically and um, away from that trauma and away from the, the, the people and what they represent. And I think that's where we get deconversion. I think that's where we get, um, you know, a lot of the unbiblical themes that are coming out even in Christian fiction. And and I think I've even heard this said in the microphone at Realm Makers, which is, um, if any if any of you don't know, is a Christian writers conference. Basically, uh, to paraphrase, like don't any don't let anybody tell you what kind of um, sexual content you can have in a book. Do whatever feels right for you, and it's very much a reaction to those people are telling you what to do. You do whatever you want, and it's an overcorrection. There's no wisdom involved in this. There's no like stopping and saying, but what does the Bible say? And they see the condom really sometimes it's genuine. There's harsh condemnation towards um, certain types of fiction and certain types of content in fiction. And they're, they're reacting to that, or they're reacting to something that they've experienced in church. And I think that's why this is common. This is human nature to do this, to overcorrect. I think that's why the Bible does say, stay on the narrow path. Like, do not turn to the right hand or to the left. You know, that's a, that's a very common phrase that's typically found in the Old Testament. I think that's saying, don't overcorrect problems. When I was growing up, I was, like I said, I was grew up in a very conservative, very traditional, very carefully. Like, my mom was very careful about what we were allowed to watch, what we were allowed to listen to, what we were allowed to read. And then I went to college (laughs) and I want to say it was like a month and a half. I had only seen two R movies, I think, by the time I got to college, maybe three. Um, One was The Patriot. So it was like historical. That was the way it was justified. And that's okay because America. 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 Yeah. (laughs) Um, But like they had The Matrix. It's for America. I'd always wanted to see The Matrix and they showed The Matrix a school event. And I went to go see that. I was like, this is the coolest movie ever. Oh my <laughs> gosh. And I just loved it. And then I watched, I watched the other two. And then I started watching like everything that I had not been allowed to watch. Ooh, which, the damn broke. Mm-hmm. All these different <laughs> things. And I, so I started watching, you know, The Goonies, which I'm sorry, but I don't understand why everybody likes that movie. Some of those uh, just had to be <laughs> there. Please don't, yeah. that don't slam, yeah. don't slam. I'm not slamming it. Like, I think it's, I saw it too old. I think I would have loved it when I was a kid. I just saw it when I was too old. I'm um, past like, my I age saw, of enjoying you know, stuff like that. I watched one John Hughes movie. Uh, what was it? Oh, uh, dear. Breakfast Club. And I was like, this is dumb. And so <laughs> then I moved on. I didn't like that. Um, oh, no. I didn't like that. But then I went and then what really, what made me turn around a little bit was I watched a Stephen King movie. I watched mm. Pet Cemetery, And Ooh, it gave yikes. me nightmares for weeks. And I thought, 
wait a minute, I think I'm going too far. I think this is, I think I'm putting stuff in my brain I shouldn't put in my brain. And, you know, I've read some Stephen King. I actually, he's an excellent writer. He's, there's a lot to admire there, but he's, he hates God, man. <laughs> he's, yeah. and, and you, yeah. you have to go into, you, you have to be really careful that you don't go crazy and go wild into, I'm just going to do what I want because there be dragons that will stay with you a long yeah. time. I mean, to, you know, McGee and me, do you guys remember that episode where he goes and watches a movie? He's oh, absolutely. To? Night of the Blood Freaks yeah. 4, I think yes. is the name of the movie. I, yes. That, that really, that's what it felt like when I watched that first movie is I just went, oh man, I, I, this is going to be with me the rest of my life. And yeah, I've, some truth I've allowed this that. in. Yeah. And it's, it's why, um, I, it's why I haven't ever and never will watch Game of Thrones. It's why I've, there's different things I have. Same. Yeah. There's a, there's a line. Yeah. And I know, I, I know what my convictions are. And I also, there's Christian freedom, but there's also some things that are very black and white that are, that are, um, that diminish Imago Dei in the actors that are destructive right. to our culture and to our hearts. There are things that we should not be supporting or watching or reading because they are evil. And unfortunately, sometimes they get covered up with dragons and vampires Cool and other stuff. fun things yeah. mm -hmm. and they're it's like you know it's like a poison pill covered in chocolate you're like oh yay dragons oh dear nihilism and porn uh mm -hmm. never mind yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> toxic mix I, yeah. I think we can plant our flag there and say that uh, yeah. we disagree uh with the stance that don't let anybody tell you what to write or read like let jesus tell you uh, now, sometimes he's not as specific as some previous generations of Christians would like to pretend, uh, but sometimes, yes, he's <laughs> very specific. And it's things about, yeah. well, who God is, uh, what the gospel is, uh, what the human uh, sexual ethic is. Like, some things like that are very important. Laura, you mentioned uh, the uh, the McGee and Me VHS episode. Uh, I think they may have went a little too far there at the beginning with, I think, throwing out all the uh, VHS tapes and picture tube TVs and Presumably the original NES, uh, those are all evil apparently, but it, it, there's still there's still a truth there. And it's funny, I was just thinking about the video last night because uh, Lacey and I went to see uh, Jesus Revolution and we saw posters outside for movies that literally sounded like fake movie names that would have been invented for a McGee and Me episode like that. A literal <laughs> movie name coming out is called Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, and another movie coming out, a real one, is called Demon Slayer. So... <laughs> all of those, uh, all those fake movie names are actually real now. Uh, and I don't know whether or not you should see those or not, uh, but hey, you know, maybe not. Who knows? Uh, so we, we, we did mention, yeah, it's, I think it's important to note, and, and we'll have more to say about this because it, it, it behooves us to mention that we've actually talked at Lorehaven about uh, having some side quests about Christian worldview for authors. And uh, Laura, you were just on uh, the, um, the Christian publishing show talking about the material you're working on for that. Not so much, you know, for authors, like how to get an agent, how to avoid split infinitives, you know, the really niche industry stuff that we would never talk about here, but more of the broader worldview stuff. Why do we create? Uh, what does God's image in us mean for uh, that imaginative gift that the Almighty has granted to his people? Uh, what does this look like for fantasy? Like, that's important stuff to note that I'm not sure that a lot of Christian writers have studied as carefully as they have studied how to get an agent or split infinitives. Uh, but if you're going to be a professing Christian author, um, it matters. Uh, it matters what you think about these things. And so that's something we want to keep an eye on. Uh, Galatians 5.13 specifically disclaims uh, this notion that uh, because of some bad person telling you something before, that means you can just do what you like now. 
the Apostle Paul says, for you were called the freedom brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That verse encapsulates everything we've talked about, uh, loving readers, loving writers, loving the church, loving the world in the good way, wanting to serve them out of an abundance of healing uh, rather than a deficit of caused by these wounds. Mixing some metaphors here. Yes, freedom. Absolutely. You are not meant to be enslaved uh, to sin uh, and you're not even held captive by the law. Christ fulfilled the law, but now you are set free to do anything you like. No, you're set free on your main quest now to glorify God and enjoy him forever through the gospel of Jesus Christ, whom we worship, and it's gratitude to him that changes us and not to change any stories we make. Uh, if we're seeing the lack of change in stories, I, I think it's right to be discerning and even, uh, even concerned about those. Maybe the author should have gone through some more healing, biblical healing, uh, before putting that story out there uh, or saying something about, uh, I'll do whatever I want now. I forget who that was, but it is a it is a strain of thought that I see sometimes uh, that represents uh, a lack of maturity, and that doesn't mean I'm going to cancel that person or ignore their book or you know rag on them on a podcast, but it does mean that uh, I'm going to view this as at best um, a growth stage. Uh, you're still growing, uh, you're still developing the craft and developing the uh, the personhood, and hopefully resembling more and more Jesus Christ. Uh, it doesn't mean you're lost or you're hopeless or I'm going to cast you out again. Uh, but it does mean that I'm going to uh, pray for you, feel some sympathy, uh, and then hope uh, that you find some healing maybe before that next book. Uh, maybe a gentle, faithful listener, uh, that next book is yours. And maybe you indeed want to go to Realm Makers, uh, the conference that occurs every July this year back in St. Louis, Missouri, and our third sponsor for this episode. Hundreds of writers who create fantasy, science fiction, and other stories will join the Christian-led organization for its 11th annual conference this July 13th through 15th in St. Louis, Missouri. Authors can register at realmmakers.com for the event. They can choose to attend in person at the Sheraton Westport Chalet Hotel or live streaming on the dedicated Realmsphere social network. Co-owner and CEO Rebecca P. Miner says, we at Realmakers have enjoyed the privilege for over a decade of connecting Christian creators to one another and to opportunities in the publishing marketplace. We're not just about bringing expert faculty to the conference for teaching, although that's one of the pillars of what we do. We've also discovered that a writer's success is tied into relationships one way or another. The annual conference offers a supportive environment where authors can take the next step in their creative journey. You can register now for the 2023 Realm Makers Conference, either in person or live streaming. Go to our show notes for the link at episode 152. Go to realmmakers.com to get there directly, or you can learn more by going to lorehammond.com slash podcast sponsors. A lot of emphasis on community there in uh, uh, Becky's quote there uh, about uh, the Realm Makers Conference. And indeed, we found that kind of community there, uh, even amongst one another. It certainly helps to meet people in real life uh, and find some healing in that way. Which leads me to chapter three, uh, the more optimistic uh, side of the episode. How can we respond as Christian fans in healing ways? Now, some of that is just don't try to be a hero for hire. Don't try to get the readers to pay for your therapy. And don't try to immerse yourself in a fantasy world to escape from the trauma of the real world. Don't do those things. But how? what can we do then, uh, not just as fantasy fans, but as Christians to heal better? Uh, from that kind of spiritual trauma or even spiritual abuse. Um, Zach, any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I think a big theme of what we've been talking about is the temptation to be your own boss and live your own truth and the, those very sort of postmodern attitudes that are very common nowadays. And so I would say the first thing is study postmodernism and look at how it's affecting you. It's probably affected you way more than you would like. I, I think about this a lot in my own mind, just like, how has it affected me? You know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, as it says in Romans 12, and, and primarily through scripture, okay, not just through, you know, sociology or something. But I think we do have to kind of analyze the spiritual environment we're in at times. And the second thing is, you know, in response to what, you know, Marion heard at the conference, unfortunately, don't let anyone tell you what you can or can't put in a book. I would say, you know, turn away from that, but let wisdom guide you, you know, read the book of Proverbs, just read that every day, read just whatever day of the month it is, read that chapter. It's an easy hack right there for Bible reading and love the Lord and love your reader as yourself, as Laura said. I think that's pretty foolproof way. And then lastly, kind of like my first point about studying postmodernism, I think we need to really take a close look at times at uh, the liberation gospel, honestly, just a very false gospel that shows up in a lot of different ways, both spiritual and more political, uh, because this this is kind of tied into postmodernism, just this idea of just throw off the shackles of oppression, and whereas oppression is sometimes just language <laughs> that people use, and oppression is not even like tyranny, like actual authoritarian dictatorships, but just normative language that people use. And so I think we have to kind of look at some of the root causes of some of these movements, which are ultimately a false view of man, a false view of God, a false view of salvation, and then to study the true view of man, God, and salvation from the scriptures. You know, there's this myth that people say a lot, and I, I propagated this myth as well, so I'm not going to hate on anyone here, but that did you know that bankers never study counterfeit money? They oh, only that old look chestnut. at true <laughs> dollar bills and just over all day long, they're just looking at real dollar bills and memorizing <laughs> everything. They never even worry about counterfeit money because there's too much of it. Well, turns out that's not actually true. <laughs> they do study counterfeits and you know, obviously there are probably a lot more of them than you could ever truly study. But there are certain you know commonalities of false dollar bills. And so there are a lot of commonalities with false teaching. And I think, yes, we do have to study false teachings to an extent. Don't get obsessed with it. Don't get weird and just turn everything into that. But we have to know that sometimes to be able to divide truth from error. And so, yeah, when you hear these things from the fan community, from the writer community, I think you have to step back and, and be like the Bereans and just take it to God's word and say, is this really true? Or because this makes me feel a certain way, but is that feeling trustworthy? I think that some of that biblical worldview training, Zaka, also applies to how we understand imagination. Uh, I think, as I mentioned earlier, there's a, there's a void in Christian teaching uh, about why we even have this gift. Why can we enjoy stories? Why do we like to create images about things that either once existed or never existed or maybe might exist in the future? Why do we like to speculate uh, in a healthy way about what is to come or what has been or other worlds? Why do we like to make up things that didn't exist to help us understand things that do exist? Uh, and it goes back then uh, not to even uh, New Testament teaching, and it certainly doesn't go to sociology or a sort of resistance-based view of imagination. 
uh, but it goes to Genesis one through two. You've got to understand our capital C creator in order to understand why we create anything. And I'm not just talking about authors here. I'm talking about a fan who is creating these images in her or his head while enjoying uh, a fantasy book or a, a sci-fi story of some kind. Uh, this is a God-given impulse. And if we are centering then our understanding of its purpose on Christ, on the gospel, that's going to help put a lot of things into place. And I think it's also going to automatically make us aware of these imposter ideas. Well, I get to make up a story so that I can retreat from my trauma or heal from my trauma by selling my story to others uh, or immerse myself in a, in a fantasy world or try to be a hero for hire. Like those all become rather more transparently uh, false uh, if you're aware of the truth. And I, I haven't talked a lot about my story here, but it has been great Christian made stories that have helped me maybe uh, resist some of these ideas more. Uh, we were talking before the show about Frank Preddy's last novel, uh, Illusion, uh, which we're actually, uh, I think we're going to review at Lorehaven uh, later this week. But uh, my favorite Peretti novel remains The Visitation that I've mentioned on other episodes. Uh, Peretti dealt in some ways with those impulses that would lead to a deconstruction or temptation to follow a false Christ instead of a true Christ. And that book, by the way, is full of examples of church-related trauma, like false teaching, bad healings. People are trying to hush up things rather than confront them honestly. Uh, and Peretti's heroes need to get through this uh, while drawing closer to the true Christ uh, rather than away from him. Uh, and that story, as well as some other Christian stories, really helped me work through those things, I think, even before I dealt with them in real life. So that is another healthy response that we can have to church trauma is work it out in stories. Like uh, Laura's novel, uh, That Pale Host, like, is, is, I think, a very healthy way of confronting those darknesses, uh, even things like depression and feeling haunted and even some uh, evil that is lurking among Christ professing people in your church. Like it does happen, but there are healthier ways to respond to that. Uh, not so much uh, throwing all of them out uh, or being vengeful uh, and certainly not going then for things like deconstructionism or other unhealthy responses that could qualify as false religions. Well, I was going to say, it is kind of funny because I didn't really say that, but I mean, my, my book actually is a big, a big theme of it is church trauma. I, yeah. I should, probably should have said that sooner. Mm, um, it for me, totally it's, relates. My, my own personal theme for that is more the sovereignty of God. But um, I think there, there's, I'd say about a third of the book takes place at church with church people who have, are, you know, most people in the story are Christians and they do the things Christians do. They are equal parts kind and compassionate and cruel and and it just depends on the situation it depends on all these different things and so it's really my my intent there was not to be mean about the church or you know put all my junk out there for everybody to see or any of that stuff it was more at the, i i intended for the end of that story to show the beginning of healing to show the beginning of change in toxicity in, in the culture, that seeing somebody riding the ship, um, to see God's people recognizing that they have brokenness in the camp that they need to deal with. And there's a lot of really good Christian fiction out there that does that. Like a Toscalese series, um, the first book is uh, The Line Between and then oh, The yeah. Light. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent example of showing somebody in a very toxic religious environment 
having to navigate how do I how do how do I have a relationship with God now after coming out of this mess? How do I deal with what I've been through? And so that kind of thing can be deeply encouraging um, and deeply healing to to read somebody else walking through that healing. The, one of my very favorite quotes of all time is Andy Wilson says stories are like catechisms, but they're catechisms for your impulses. They're catechisms with flesh on. Right, right. So the character is walking through the questions you have and giving you the answer that the that the author believes. And so that's why it's so important to pick the right, like pick books by good authors who love Jesus and who are reflecting Christian worldview because their answer is going to be determined by what they believe, which is literally what the class I'm going to be teaching about is. Um, but there's also this really cool quote from Madeline Lingle that I really resonated with. And I think this applies whether you are reading fiction or writing fiction. I, I think both. This is my faith in a loving creator of the galaxies, so loving that the very hairs of my head are counted is stronger in my work than in my life. And often it is the work that pulls me back from the precipice of faithlessness. So there's, there's so much junk um, out there, but there are, there's so many beautiful books that can renew your faith, that can renew your love for Christ, that can help you grow and move forward out of, into healing and away from your pain. And, and it can also, it gives you like it's they're walking through the questions you have to find an answer and it may not be the answer that's easy sometimes you don't get what you want from life sometimes you don't get what you what, what you'd prefer and sometimes that's not the right thing what you want is actually going to hurt you what you need is god's answer for things god's healing his love and his truth and truth sometimes truth is just not it's always going to sting a little bit like it's just going to sting. And I think as long as the person, as long as the story that you're reading is intended to heal and help, then that sting, I think, is worth it. Marion, we've talked before, too, about uh, the need for a Christian who's been through trauma or some kind of uh, you know pattern of sin against us uh, to understand how biblical reconciliation works. And we, we've discussed and even debated like exactly <laughs> yeah. what terms we use. Uh, and I think we're both going in, and hopefully in the same direction there. That's the nonfiction side. But I think it's also important then, as Laura was saying, to play these things out in the fiction side as almost a, a catechism for the soul. Uh, you're working through then, you know, how does, how does Luke Skywalker uh, deal with his trauma, you know, abandonment. And then his uh, father turns out to be, you know, just one step below uh, the evil galactic emperor. Uh, how do these other characters, you know, how does Harry Potter uh, fight against uh, Draco Malfoy and yet understand then that his enemy is also being traumatized? That's something that we just, it's, it's so difficult to work out because if you go too far, then you will excuse the victimizer uh, and even defend the victimizer more than the victim. And that that will not do. We've, we've seen all kinds of people do that. But then you also want to understand where the abuser or or the, the victimizer is coming from. And and at once show empathy and maybe even overlook some sins, uh, but also like not sit there and be a doormat. Like it's very difficult, but stories can help us work through those complex issues. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's why I also am such an advocate for um, people being emotionally mature and emotionally uh ready to write to be a to be a writer because right. sometimes you know you need that um such balance such careful balance to work through those issues and wisdom in a story um but i do think yeah um, empathy 
for someone who has injured you, um, honestly, probably because of their own injury. And that's so, so often the case. Um, Not every time, but so often the case. But I think that there is a fine line when you're thinking of, am I a doormat? And um, I I recently read a book by uh, Lisa Turkhurst um, called Good Boundaries and Goodbyes. Mm. And and she's just an advocate for having healthy relational boundaries when they're necessary, um, you know, because I think that we do have a tendency in the church to say um, everyone's a sinner. And um, getting rid of all the toxic people in your life is impossible. So you just need to forgive everybody and just move on. And I think that that is um, not nuanced and it's not wise. Um, Yes, everyone is a sinner, but there's also lines that are crossed. And we have to determine, is this a line that's crossed? Am I Because God does not call us to be doormats. You know, and um, and so to have you're not saying like I'm cutting a bunch of people out of my life. That's not that's not what I'm saying. That's not what she was advocating for. Mm. But just to say um, there actually are biblical principles that are advocating for boundaries. I think saying something like I love you, I I empathize with you, um, I even forgive you, but I'm not going to just sit here and allow this to continue to happen is is a good boundary and 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 uh, yeah i I recommend that book if you're confused about um what good healthy relational boundaries are and how to implement them but even i think that there are boundaries we can put in relationships i think there are also boundaries we can put on our fiction yeah and realizing that i'm i'm even entering into a some sort of relationship with this author because this is their heart that they're showing me and am i going to let it inside my heart and that's that's a relational boundaries that that you also need to consider I'm glad you mentioned a nonfiction resource I'd not heard about. Uh, some resources that have helped me as well are The Peacemaker uh, by Ken Sandy, which is very good. Uh, there's a book by a pastor named Chris Bronze called Unpacking Forgiveness uh, that I've also found very helpful. Uh, what forgiveness is, what it isn't, you know, some things that Christians can debate, but I think the impulse matters is that we're trying to make sure that we're not forgiving someone so much uh, that they are not brought to per, uh, repentance, especially if this is an issue of a pattern of unrepented ongoing sin uh, that actually traumatizes people. Uh, that, that just won't do at all. You need some distance from that in order to forgive that person. There's also another book specific to church-related trauma. It's called The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse. Uh, that was by uh, chaps named David Johnson and Jeff Van Vonderen. I found that very helpful, even though I'd not been through church abuse, uh, just trying to get ahead of the issue really helps. So some nonfiction can help, uh, but also as Laura is mentioning, like working this out through fiction, like find stories, trusted authors who clearly have something to say about this that does not come from a place of that lingering pain. It is the internet. Uh, it has all kinds of hazards for making everything about trauma all the time. Uh, but you also, as Zach said, can get an idea about an author. You can see what articles they've written or the podcast they tend to favor. Maybe maybe you can start to ask, okay, is this person like on the whole sell my trauma bandwagon? Uh, Is this person have it in for all churches because of what happened to them in that one church back home? Or is this person, as you said, Marion, like on the road toward maturity? Now, no one arrives there before Christ returns and we're resurrected, but trajectory matters. You can tell if someone is at least trying to go in that direction And frankly, it does become clear from some book descriptions or author bios where somebody is buying into an ideology or a reaction uh, that shows they clearly have some more healing to do. And we are all on that path. 
Yeah. And I, I think we have to kind of do an evaluation of our social media diet. <laughs> Uh, because, you know, because of hashtags, we can easily go down a click hole of finding every kind of traumatic experience everyone else has had that's similar to your own. And I, I think people just re-traumatize themselves, to be honest. You know, if, if you've had this or that bad experience, you can find a thousand other people who've had it and may have even live streamed it or, or something. And it, it's just so easy to just consume yourself with that. I mean, that's that's how exactly the social media algorithms are designed. It's like, oh, you like this? Let me show you a bunch of other content just like this. Yeah, and some <laughs> and, of them are really potent with that. Like TikTok just somehow uh, seems to read your brain with that, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Chinese communist telepathy and they'll feed you more of what they, they think you want to see. That's what we're wired to remember is the negative. We are wired to remember traumatic right. and, and negative experiences. And so it is, when we talk about um, having the mind of Christ, and putting our minds on things above, that is an that has to be an active choice of the Christian. You have to be actively putting your minds on the on the good things, on the goodness of God, on who He is, and how much He loves you. Because our minds are made to remember the negative as a safety thing. Like we're just that's what it's there for. Yeah, well, and, if you're in survival so mode, yeah, you're yeah, with that lower brain stem and all measure. that. Mm -hmm. So yeah. when yeah. you when you as a Christian, part of the thing is if you're bathing your brain in deeply negative, disturbing content all the time, or if you're just bathing your brain in inappropriate stuff all the time, then you're, that's the stuff that's going to stick. And you, you need to make an active choice to say, I'm going to read and listen to and value the good, the true, and the beautiful. And I'm going to bathe my soul in those things so that that is what is, is first and foremost in my life. Yeah. And I, I think the other really bad temptation of on social media is when you're following people whose entire mission is to find enemies to destroy. Right. Okay? That's their career. Uh -huh. and, and this, yeah, the, the people who are perpetually you know, outraged or offended or on the hunt for something. Now, again, that can serve a purpose at times. But someone whose job it is to always find an enemy, you know, and I don't really care which, which side of the political thing this yeah, is on. Yeah, this happens it, all over. Mm. It, and it's so, it's harder to see it when it's something you agree with and when, when it's something that almost seems like a, a morally righteous crusade. But I'm, I'm really brought back to scripture here, Stephen, which is uh, Titus 3.10, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. And to be honest, I, I've had three to, strikes and you're out. <laughs> I mean, boundary. right. How many of clear. us actually do that? That's, that's a hard, yeah. that's a very high bar. And I, but I've had to do this a couple of times. I've just had to, you know, just distance myself from people who all they want to do is find a group within the church to blame for everything. And it's just not healthy to focus on that. You know, at the beginning we talked about how stories can be like this escape. And, and it can be too escapist and you just kind of drown your sorrows in a, a good story. Well, you know, we, we've talked about the, the quote for, before from Tolkien via Lewis about, you know, what class of men would you expect to be most preoccupied with and hostile to the idea of escape? And Tolkien gave the obvious answer, jailers, <laughs> fascists, as well as communists, our jailers both would assure us that the proper study of prisoners is prison. And so... Look, there is a very good use for, yes, escapist and fantastical fiction, 
And it's to show us a better world sometimes, a world as it should be, or even a difficult world in how normal people survive it and conquer it. And so that can give us strength and that can give us positive resources. But but it really does have to have that element of good conquering evil. If it's just evil consuming everything, then that's that's a bad escape. That's just further prison that you're putting yourself in. Well, I keep going back to something Jackie Hill Perry said. She's one of my favorite Bible study teachers. She's such a, a neat lady. And she went through some really traumatic church experiences. And uh, when, especially when she was a baby Christian, like really brand new to the faith. And she, uh, I can't remember whether it was a podcast or whatever, but she kept saying over and over again, God uses the church to heal church trauma, church hurt. Oh, amen. And you say that really yeah. good. That's yeah. wise. Wow. He uses that. And I, I can see how God has done that specifically in my own life where he um, used a church up the road from the little t- church that we, that my husband pastored, where I had been through a absolutely horrific 25 and a half hours of labor with my second kiddo. And we had, he had just been, just stepped down and we were about to be homeless and jobless with two, with a brand new newborn and a two-year-old. And, um, I was going to be moving into my grandfather's house. He had passed away that summer. So I had all this junk and the lady that, um, was my nurse, uh, in the labor and delivery happened to be the worship leader of that church. She was the lady in charge and she prayed with me throughout that whole ordeal. She, um, came and checked on me the next day when every, when I had my son and everything was good. And then two weeks later, we, it was our last week in that state. And I went up to that church hoping to hide in the back and hide from everybody. And the pastor saw me. He ran down the aisle practically, grabbed both of my hands. And he said, I am so honored to have you in my church today. Wow. Mm. And he, mm. he was just like, I'm so, so glad you're here. I know it took a lot to step into this church. That is so some he, Jesus energy there. That is wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Well, then he went, I, it was, I still have never forgotten this. He runs back up, taps the worship leader on the shoulder and points. And she looks at me and she got this big smile on her face. And she's like, it's, oh, it's her, it's her. And at the end of the service, um, the pastor kind of gave me a look like, please let me tell everybody that you're here. And then I, I just like, okay, fine, whatever. Obviously I can't be anonymous and hide in the back. And he asked, um, he said, I told everybody, I, I've told you about what's been happening to Laura McCary and Caleb McCary um, at the church down the road. And she's here today in our church. And he points at me, the whole congregation is like starting to cry. And he had um, the worship leader and of all the women in the church gather around me and pray over me. And wow. I have never forgotten that. And I never will mm. because it's something that Sorry, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> no, it's okay. It, it We're like Christian so... TV here. I'm I'm sweating yeah. some manly eyeball sweat right yeah. now, actually. <laughs> it was so deeply healing because, and, and I never tell my church experience story without ending with that because mm. that is what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. Yeah. That is how it is supposed to behave. Right. And that is how it has repeatedly behaved in my life since where they have stepped into the gap and they've said, we love you. We're going to hold you up. We're going to hold up your arms when you are, when you are exhausted. Mm. And so it's, I know it's hard to keep looking. I know what it feels like to the last place you want to be is church. And I understand how hard that can be. And so I just, I would just say to anybody who's struggling with this, don't give up looking. 
there is a good godly church out there and there are godly people who will love you and hold you up. And, and they might even watch, you know, uh, sci-fi and fantasy or read Tolkien with you. <laughs> so they, they, ex- mm-hmm. we exist and we go to it church, come and find us. Um, we want, we want you there and don't be a lone wolf Christian and think you can heal on your own. Let the church come around you and hold you up and bring that healing. Amen. So we've, to sum up, we've, we've got three solutions here, certainly healing scripture and finding healing in Christ himself as revealed in the the gospel and God's holy word. Uh, Secondly, those true life stories of healing, like you mentioned, Laura, or any other true life story that, you know, faithful listener, share those like, yes, talk about the bad parts, talk about the trauma as much as you can, as much as you feel comfortable to uh, name names if you need to, or, or obscure them, but, but always end if you can, if you've heard that kind of healing story, then definitely mention that there's such power in that uh, to heal and help restore. And then thirdly, great fiction uh, that reflects those great stories. Uh, it is out there. Sometimes you got to look for it because there's even a lot of, not a lot of Christian fantasies specifically talking about, you know, churches and these situations in the real world, uh, but it does exist uh, both old and new. And I'd love to see more of that. And frankly, I could use more of that. Uh, and I think that uh, Christian fans need more of that uh, to help foreground the fantastical elements in, uh, in reality and deal with those issues of, of trauma and healing, which often continues throughout all of life, by the way. It's not a happy ending. Uh, you'll go back uh, through those memories. Uh, something will, I guess you could say trigger. Uh, so something will bring all those back. But if you are on the road toward healing, um, it may not hurt so much. And then maybe eventually you'll be in a place where you too can be used. Uh, like that pastor, Laura, like that worship leader, like, wow, like I said, Jesus energy, but it really is. Uh, that is Christ, our great physician. And we've got to look toward our great physician and his uh, physician's aids in training on earth uh, in the local church uh, more than we look to uh, those who've wounded us. It's real, it's serious, uh, but so is the love of Christ through a good local church. Laura, we've already talked about uh, your work, uh, That Fail Host, that delves into some of these themes, uh, but uh, you're also working on this writer's course. I just want to ask both of you what you're working on now and then tell people how they can track more of your stuff. So, Laura, I'll start with you. Yeah, um, well, I'm working on a novel series that's about mermaids. That's all you get. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I'm really excited about it, though. It's going to be a lot of fun, and um, I think that it, it's going to deal with a lot with themes of identity and uh, obedience to God, even when you don't think you can do it. And I'm really excited about that. Um, I also, my, it's Worldview for World Builders is the class I'm working on. I am in the process of uh, writing and filming it right now. And it's it's intended for Christian authors of science fiction, fantasy, horror, et cetera, to uh, understand how your faith shapes what you write. It's not, it doesn't just shape it, it determines it. So what you believe will determine what you're comfortable writing and what you put on the page. And I, I'm really excited about it. I'm, uh, I'll be putting out more information about it soon. Um, but I, yeah, I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm having a lot of fun because I get to read a lot of random stuff that I had never seen before, like, you know, Tolkien on fairy stories and stuff. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. And Marion, what are you working on? Yeah, so the fiction project I'm I'm editing at the moment is, um, like I said before, science fantasy murder mystery. Um, it's I epic. can't really just going to say that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm very excited about it. I've been getting some good feedback from beta readers, so I'm, I'm pretty excited. And then I'm also researching, outlining, um, pitching for a nonfiction project about um, biblical guide to discerning fictional magic. 
yeah, it's it's going to be um, reliant on a lot of theology, a lot of exegesis to try to um, help use the Bible to to help parents and readers and writers and even possibly gamers to um, to be able to discern fictional magic systems. Fantastic. I look forward to hearing more about all these projects. And I got to say that uh, I don't talk much about my fiction project, but it is a science fiction drama as well that deals specifically with themes of faithful Christians uh, in the future, uh, trying to wrestle with what can only be described as church trauma, the pain of separation, uh, but then also coming back to love your people and yet also encourage them uh, in their call uh, to do ministry, uh, not just on earth, but beyond. That's a thematic pitch. Uh, if I ever get this thing published anywhere, you'll definitely hear more about it here. But it's I think this epic. illustrates it better get published. <laughs> the, well, let's hope so. Yeah, we'll, ha- we'll have to see. You know, science fiction, even among uh, Christian fantasy uh, fandoms, is uh, still a bit of a redheaded stepchild, unless you're doing a uh, dystopian uh, with a younger protagonist. And I naturally felt uh, the need to go in a different direction. But a lot of these themes are very personal to me for uh, for that reason as well. Like kind of exploring that in this in this futuristic world. Zach, well, we're all talking about what we're working on. What are you working on, Zach? Um, I'm working a little bit in the background on some thoughts about AI right now. I've been talking to some people that have said we need a good theology of humanity because we're moving into the post-human world. Ooh, and so this is just anthropology. Some, yeah, yeah. So this is just some nonfiction stuff I'm working on, kind of quietly. Not anymore. Not quietly yeah. anymore. <laughs> right. I made you spill. <laughs> yeah. The, the theme I keep seeing is AI researchers saying, I didn't think it would move this fast. And these are people that are already in the fast lane oh, watching how fast it's moving. And they're like, this is moving way faster than even I thought. So the reason I like science fiction so much is because science fiction is really about the study of the rate of change of society in response to the changes in technology. And so I, I think this is very fertile ground for Christians to um, think biblically about. Oh, absolutely. It's all about uh, finding that humanity amongst uh, any, either the pain of an emotional uh, relationship strain uh, or that uh, seeming assault by the technologies, our creations getting away from us. Uh, get all those links in our show notes uh, for this episode, uh, along with uh, work uh, by Laura as the uh, social media coordinator. And uh, Marion is a continuing uh, writer at the Lorehaven Articles. We'll put all those links in the show notes. Uh, speaking of Lorehaven links, uh, let's move quickly to our mission update. Uh, what's new at lorehaven.com in the past week or so and what's coming up? You can read our new review of the Charles Williams classic supernatural thriller direct from 1930 called War in Heaven. So it's not the goblet of fire they find at this English country church, but the Holy Grail and the ensuing events that happened there. Uh, Elijah David wrote that review. He's also doing our new book quest in the Lorehaven Guild. It's our exclusive Discord community. We have a new book quest every month, and this one focuses on war in heaven. It started on Monday, just the day before podcast release. If you haven't joined the guild, do so. Just go to lorehaven.com and subscribe free, and we will send you that exclusive invitation code. You can also get updates for new Lorehaven articles, news, reviews, all the good stuff. Uh, soon, by the way, we're going to announce more about our spring events. I'm laying in a course for some conferences coming up, uh, mostly homeschool ones. There's ones uh, right in my backyard, actually, in uh, Central Texas uh, coming up is the Teach Them Diligently event where I, uh, representing Lorehaven, and Jamie Foley, representing uh, Enclave Publishing, as well as uh, the aforementioned author, debut Candace Cade with Enhanced. We have her, actually, and you can come see her and get the book signed and learn about China, uh, futuristic China, and social credit systems and genetics. It's going to be awesome. 
Uh, we will have that uh, coming up and I'll have more information at uh, Lorehaven about that. Uh, by the way, we've been talking more authory things here at the end, not because we're going to turn ourselves into an author's podcast, but just to note that Lorehaven has been talking about offering more resources like that. Uh, and uh, moving in that direction, I've restarted my own personal blog with a couple of articles over this last weekend. It's under a new heading called Lorehaven Authorship. Lorehaven Authorship. And when time and calling permit, uh, we're going to have more voices uh, joining uh, those portals at the Lorehaven site. So you get more variety of perspectives there. And maybe not always focused on the fan side of things, uh, but also on the author side of things, uh, like Laura's uh, Worldview for World Builders course. Follow lorehaven.com for more updates about that upcoming project and let us know what you think. You can email podcast at lorehaven.com to share your thoughts or tag us on the social media. Let's step over at our comm station. Uh, Zach has received a new note over the transom. What, what you got there for us, Zach? Well, JJ Griffin remarked on the review of War in Heaven. And said, quote, along with there once was a boy named Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it from Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And the building was on fire, but it wasn't my fault from Summer Night, I think by Jim Butcher. Charles Williams's opening line in War in Heaven is among literature's best. And the quote here is, the telephone was ringing frantically, but nobody was there to answer it but the corpse uh, or something like that. It sure beats, uh, it is a truth universally acknowledged, blah, 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 by Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice, or Lewis's own marriage was ordained thirdly in that hideous strength. <laughs> that, that's great. Okay, this makes me really curious to read it. I, I hear Lewis talk a lot about Charles Williams, Stephen, in his uh, essays and things, but I've never read anything by Charles Williams, so it, it's I, he's one of the inklings I, I've I feel like I should read that at some point. Yeah, I have something in the back of my head that says, oh, he was just a universalist or something, but that may be unwarranted slander. Uh, Lewis himself uh, leaned toward inclusivism or soft inclusivism here or there, so it's certainly not a disqualifier. People have different uh, reactions to this book. I don't know if I'll have time to participate in the book quest myself, but I'm certainly curious. Laura Marion, have you ever read War in Heaven? Nope, not yet. But okay. I actually am planning on it because of this. I'm very curious. I am curious as well, but no, I haven't read it. Well, you said, Laura, that War in Heaven is also a video game. Is that the War in Heaven? Charles Williams? Did he approve of this <laughs> game adaptation? It was from 1999, and it, it was terrible. It was like, it's, it's described <laughs> as doom meets the Bible. So don't. don't. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> just, no, no, that, so, that sounds kind of mildly traumatizing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> So next on Fantastical Truth, the saga continues in our Fantastical Foe series. If a church or group of Christians hurt you, face it, that is part of your origin story. True heroes on their journey to victory often face many temptations to the dark side. And one of those temptations is to follow a fantastical foe that we could call deconstructionism. We hear this term a lot, especially if you hang around on social media. Sure, everyone needs to test their faith. And if the church back home had some rotten construction, you may need some remodeling. But how can you do this? Showing sympathy to yourself and also to other victims who need to tear out the bad structures while refusing to let professional demolition crews destroy the gospel. Let's explore our first fantastical foe, deconstructionism, in our next Fantastical Truth episode. Meanwhile, I hope to heaven that we dealt sensitively yet firmly uh, with this issue of church trauma and spiritual abuse and other pain that we can get, even from people who profess to follow Christ. These are complex issues. 
Uh, there are issues that may bring up some feelings we weren't ready for. I hope that we've prepared everyone for this discussion. And I hope you know, too, that this isn't the end of the discussion here. If anything, these are some conversation starters. So talk about this episode with your friends. Certainly share the link and spread the word. Uh, but mostly use everything we've said to look to Christ. He is our healer. He is the person who will not further wound someone who's been wounded. He is the person who has promised to resurrect us and heal all of those harms and wipe away every tear. We look forward to that future resurrection as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth.